Good day, mate. 40 here at Glamorous Gladstone Airport. So, I was just reading an article in the New York Times by uh, Grant Wall's widow. So, Grant Wall was a soccer writer for Sports Illustrated, and uh, she published an op ed in the New York Times that she's going to protect her husband's legacy. And you hear this a lot that people, I'm just protecting my reputation is protecting my legacy. And she's concerned that anti-vax activists are you know, trying to claim that you know, Grant Wall died suddenly is you know, some sort of negative reaction to uh, COVID vaccine, but she's gonna fight back. She's gonna protect his legacy, right? She's not gonna go in for any nonsense that goes against what the, the public health officials tell us. So that comes as a, a great relief to you. But uh, guess what? We don't own our legacy and we don't own or control our reputation. Because our legacy and our reputation exists in the minds of other people and we don't get to control that. So, <laughs> one of the most common ways people go wrong is you know, they try to control things that are not under their control. When you control, try to control stuff that's not under your control, yeah, that's just going to lead to misery. So, she's publishing an op-ed about how she's going to protect you know, her husband's legacy. But her husband's legacy doesn't belong to her. And it doesn't belong to her husband. Because it exists in the mind of other people. And we don't get to control... You know, we don't get to control other people's minds. You know, I know this is a bit of a shock a bit of a bother, but I don't get to control your mind. I don't get to control what you think about me. I don't get to control my reputation. And I get to control my legacy. So, she says, uh, Grant Wall was a, was a loving husband. I will always protect his legacy. And that's really sweet. And, you know, of course, we say all sorts of things that are not true in the service of our emotions. But uh, it's time we face reality. We don't get to control our reputation or our legacy because it exists in the minds of other people. We have no control over the minds of other people. So she writes, as soon as the news became public, you know, her husband, Grant Wall, had died, rumors and disinformation began to spread. And soon strangers began blaming Grant Wall's death on COVID-19 vaccines. Okay, there's, there's nothing you can do about it. So, you think that writing an op-ed in the New York Times is going to make any difference? Uh, people who spread, you know, anti-COVID vaccine misinformation, right, they're not hanging on what the New York Times has to say. I knew that disinformation purveyors would blame Grant's death on COVID vaccines. Yeah, well, there's nothing you can do. I knew that debunking what these people believe head-on in public risks giving them the attention they crave and invites further trawling. Well, isn't this kind of what you're doing right now. So she's apparently an infectious disease specialist and an epidemiologist, and she serves on the Biden-Harris Transition COVID Advisory Board. So 
she she had an autopsy performed on her husband and uh, this is a concrete step right so any reasonably minded person uh, may, may pay attention to the autopsy result because autopsy results are usually you know done in a pretty serious manner uh, in first world nations they keep an eye on what kills people like death certificates autopsies not perfect in first world nations, but uh, they tend to be pretty doggone good. So she had the New York City Office of Chief Medical Examiner perform the autopsy, right? Some of the world's top pathologists. And so apparently Grant's aorta, the large blood vessel carrying blood from his heart, had ruptured. And so she put out a written statement. She agreed to interviews with the New York Times, CBS, NPR, and the Peter King podcast. But uh, I think that the people who are purveying misinformation about her husband's death are not going to be terribly persuaded by what the New York Times, CBS, NPR, and the Peter King podcast have to say. So she says the vaccine disinformation playbook includes the use of fake experts, logical fallacies, impossible expectations, cherry-picked data, and conspiracy theories. Not a single qualified medical or public health expert has supported the claim that my husband died from COVID vaccination. Yeah. So sometimes in life there is a big disconnect between what the public believe and what the experts believe. And I'm not one who likes the explanation, oh, people are just crazy, right? You can see people as being fairly heroic for refusing to believe in things they don't understand, right? You can castigate them for being stupid and you can castigate them for being crazy. But uh, there's, a, you know, there's a certain you know, independence of mind that people display when they say, oh, I'm not going to buy into anything I don't understand. So I think that's what's going on here. You know, a lot of fair dinkum Americans and fair dinkum Aussies simply refuse to buy into anything that they don't understand. Also a fascinating article. In, oh, whenever disinformation profiteers leverage tragedies like grants for their personal gain, they re-traumatize families they compromise our ability to interpret information and distinguish truth from lies, putting all of us at risk. Well, you don't get to control the narrative. You don't get to control what other people think. Right. So well, you can call them all sorts of negative names, but they are independent souls who refuse to buy things that they can't understand. Right. It's normal natural that many people are concerned about putting something into their body. British American, get a mate, how are you? It's good uh, to see you here as I hang out at the Gladstone Airport waiting for my plane, leaving on a jet plane. So it's not just disinformation profiteers who leverage tragedies for their personal gain. Guess what? We all leverage almost everything in life for either our personal gain or our ideological gain. Right? The Great Reset, there's nothing new about that. We always try to use everything that happens to our advantage.
So everyone has a hero system, and this this epidemiologist says, I believe in karma. So we all have to believe in something, right, to feel better about how confusing and unfair the world is and how trivial and inconsequential our lives seem. We welcome back our business customers. Just got to listen to the uh, flight announcements. Platinum and gold Okay, very exciting. Boarding the plane for the big city, the big smoke of uh, Brisbane. She says, I believe in karma, right? Some people get comfort. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Torah. I believe in God. I believe in the great spirit. I believe in science. Right, we all have to believe in something, right? You all have to have a hero Good morning, system. Everyone, this is a announcement I'm trying to, trying to run a, a podcast here, guys. So she says, karma is what brought Grant into my life. Karma is what sustained our marriage through trials, adversities endless work pressures that demanded, demanded every piece of us. So, yeah, we all have to you know, believe in some sort of greater meaning system, which we usually inherit from our community, that uh, makes our life cohere and gives it importance that transcends our own efforts. So we attach ourselves usually to our community and you know, attach ourselves to that hero system, that meaning system. And, you know, we interpret all the, the random things that happen to us through through the lens of our own meaning system. So some people have a meaning system or hero system of you know, preferring their, their kin to you know, all other people's. And this can also be called racist. So some people, their hero system is you know my kin before else, you know, my blood before all else. And other people, oh, it's my, you know, it's my anti-racism, that's my hero system. So whatever we hold sacred just blinds us to reality. But it also, you know, shores us up through the difficulties of life, provides a comfort that, uh, you know, all our efforts are not for vain because we're connected to, you know, something eternal. So another really interesting article here in the, the New York Times about a professor who got fired because she showed a painting of the Prophet Muhammad. Right? This is at Hamline University. So she's teaching an art history class. She shows a painting of the Prophet Muhammad. She warned people what was coming up, but simply by showing a painting of the Prophet, she got fired and it was labeled Islamophobic. I mean, isn't diversity wonderful? That uh, all the, the norms of, of Western scholarship, we can now trash them. In, in the name of, uh, you know, accepting other people's value systems, other people's hero systems, and allowing them to transcend ours. So we've got to give up free inquiry so that we can be multicultural. This is Erica Prater. She's an adjunct professor of art history. She knew many Muslims have deeply held religious beliefs that prohibit depictions of the Prophet Muhammad. 
So, you know, why should wider society bend and cave to a minority group's religious beliefs, no matter how deeply held? What does it matter how deeply held someone's uh, beliefs are? You know, why should someone who doesn't hold those beliefs cave? And then I love, they call it the Prophet Muhammad, capital P. Unless you're a Muslim, he's not the Prophet. It's like saying Jesus the Christ. They don't do that. Why is the media cuck to Muslims and simply accept Muslim religious faith statements as factual truth? Here in the New York Times, they call him the Prophet Muhammad. Right, as though this is like some objective truth. So she's teaching art history. In the syllabus, she warns that the images of holy figures, including the Prophet Muhammad and the Buddha, will be shown in the course. She asked the students to contact her with any concerns in class. She warned them that the painting would be displayed in case anyone wanted to leave. Then she showed the image, and she lost the teaching gig. And so it's become you know, a major culture war issue. So it pits the advocates of academic liberty and free speech against Muslims who believe that showing the image of Prophet Muhammad is always sacrilegious. It's only sacrilegious if you have that particular belief system. Right? If, if you eat uh, pork, right, that's not sacrilegious. You, know, you simply don't hold the religious belief system that uh, there's something sacrilegious about eating pork. Or if you don't observe the Sabbath, you know, why should I care? It's like uh, people who want to get into a taxi would say they're a service animal, and if the taxi driver is Muslim, he'll often forbid it, because that goes against his value system. But what about all the Christian mail carriers who deliver, used to deliver anyway pornography through the mail? That goes against their belief system, but they don't impose it on everyone else. So you have a very fired up you know, passionate religious minority here managed to get a professor fired and seek to impose you know, their religious faith system on everyone else you know, in ways that the Christian majority would, would not do. So a senior in the class complained to the administration. Other Muslim students supported the student, saying the class was an attack on their religion. So you have to circumcise and circumscribe how you teach so that you cock to various activist religious minorities. So some religions have to be respected, but uh, not Christianity, right? not, not the majority religion. Right? So we have the essence of being woke is that there are sacred groups such as Muslims, blacks, gays, Jews, and uh, they need to be held apart from any group criticism. They have to be treated as sacred objects. They can't be critiqued. No negative feedback and their whims and wishes, right? Everyone else needs to bow down to. Okay, getting ready to board a jet plane. Bye-bye.